But now we're here, and we're into the new year. And those of you who have been around for a while, you know it's been our custom uh, since the beginning. No matter what, uh, what series we're in as the new year turns, to just stop and remind ourselves again um, about prayer, one form or another. What does God's Word say about prayer? How do we need to grow in prayer this year? Um, this is, is one of our key attributes as a church. Oh, they're at the back now. Um, we're built on fervent prayer, uh, prayer that is dependent and expectant. Um, but it's more than just something we've decided that we're going to commit to. This is something we believe is true. Um, as, as the elders of this church, we are firmly convinced a true church, a God-honoring church does not exist outside of true prayer. Uh, charismatic leader, uh, an entertaining speaker, lively music, friendly people. Those things can all gather a crowd, but a crowd does not make a church. A God-honoring church only happens as he gathers his people by his power for his glory. That's what we want to see. Uh, and if that means 10 of us in a basement, praise the Lord. If that means 100 people and we need to move out of this building, praise the Lord. But, but that's what we're after is his people gathered by his power. Uh, and so prayer has to be central. Prayer has to be the root of that. Prayer is the first and biggest agenda item at every elders meeting that we have. Um, every Sunday begins in that back room. Actually, I think it begins before that at about, what, 6.30, the worship team begins to pray. Uh, and then we gather as all those who are serving in the morning to pray. By the way, you're welcome to join that. You don't have to be serving to come and pray together. Um, every month we gather together for corporate prayer. Um, small groups are gathering and a significant part of that every week is to be praying together. And so, again, as we round the corner of the new year, we want to just root ourselves again in God's word and the centrality, the importance of prayer. As I was thinking about this sermon for this Sunday, um, I was asked what probably most would consider a pretty straightforward question. It's not a question that requires a lot of thought to answer. Um, the question was simply, does prayer work? And I found myself stumbling to answer. <sighs> Not because I doubt the effectiveness of prayer, but because the more I grow in my understanding of prayer, the more I realize that, that there are just so many assumptions underneath that question that could be totally wrong. Answering that question with a simple yes might be really unhelpful, might be really leading somebody into further confusion about prayer. And if someone asks you, uh, does a hammer work? Oh uh, boy, yes. Depending, are you using it right? What are you using it for? And if that person is holding a, a hammer in one hand and a, and a priceless heirloom vase in the other hand, and they ask you, does a hammer work? Uh, why? What? Maybe. So does prayer work? Well, absolutely. 100% all the time, prayer works. But are you using it properly? What are you hoping prayer is going to do for you? I want us to look at Psalm 37 this morning, verses 1 to 8. Um, turn with me there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible on you, just invite you to slip up your hand and our ushers will...
put a copy of God's Word into your hand. We want you to have God's Word open in front of you. Um, I have nothing of value to say. Um, This is about God's Word and what God has to say. And these verses uh, might be familiar to you. Um, And uh, I'll just be honest, these aren't verses about prayer. They're, They're just verses about life and Maybe the simplest connection is to say life is, or prayer is part of life, so these verses are about prayer. Um, but I think you'll see as we go through, there's a lot deeper connection than that. These verses are about envy and anxiety and the desires of our heart, and, and those really get to the root of prayer. And so as we look at these verses, I want us to be reminded again the purpose of prayer, the goal of prayer, and I think what we'll see as we come through this is that the thing that we ought to be aiming to gain in prayer and through prayer is none other than God himself. Let me read uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Would you pray with me? Father, as we begin this new year, um, we want to be so clear in our own hearts that we need you. We need you above anything else. God, we need you more than food and water. We need you more than any of the myriad of desires that tug at our hearts and there are so many things that distract us and so many things that pull us away. But God, we need you. And Lord, we cry out as the disciples did, teach us to pray. Lord, this morning, would you be teaching us what it means to be a people of prayer, a people who delight ourselves in the Lord. Lord, that that you might draw us forward in prayer this morning, that we might be a church um, that clings closely to you, that walks closely with you. Lord, that we would be shaped and formed uh, as we seek you in your word and in prayer, um, that we would be a people um, conformed to the image of Christ. God, would you do that work in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. So this is a psalm written by David, and, and psalms, as you know, are, are mostly poetry. Um, this book is this, is, is this marvelous collection of songs and prayers and poems to God and about God. And uh, Psalm 37 is actually an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Each line starts with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, but there's another poetic dynamic here at play in these first eight verses. Um, They're organized in what's called a chiasm. 
And it's a very common Hebrew structure. We, we bumped into it a little bit earlier in, in Exodus, um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of live in that this morning. So I want you to understand what I mean by that, what a chiasm is. And, and if you're looking for it, you'll start to see these everywhere. Um, I put together a really lousy graphic. I literally did it in Microsoft Word and, and did a screen capture. And, and Josh didn't like that, so he made it more beautiful. Um, so there you go. Um, Chiasm, maybe a pyramid is an easy way to understand it. So it goes one, two, three, two, one. So the bottom levels mirror each other. The middle mirrors each other. And, and the center is the point. Um, so in this case, we have verses one and two are step one. Fret not yourself. Verse three is step two. Trust in the Lord. Verse four is right at the top. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then we go back down to verses five and six. And again, it says, trust the Lord and then back to the bottom step, verses 7 and 8, fret not. So fret not, trust the Lord, delight in the Lord, fret not. Or sorry, trust the Lord, fret not. Um, so we're going we're gonna to work through these verses. We're not going to do it in a linear fashion, one verse and then the next, because in a sense, that's not how it's written. That's not how it's organized. Um, we're going to work through it from the bottom to the top. Uh, or maybe I had another really lousy graphic. I'm interested in what Josh put together. Yeah, that's way nicer. How come I didn't do that? Um, as a target, as a bullseye, we're going to start broad, fret not. We're going to work in a little closer, or trust the Lord, and then the bullseye, the center, delight in the Lord. So that's, that's where we're going. That's how I see this kind of being organized. And uh, uh, step number one, verses one and two and, and seven and eight, fret not. Um, point one is prayer is the opposite of anxiety. Prayer is the opposite of anxiety. Um, we see that in verses 1 and 2. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Evil Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And then down in verses 7 and 8. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over a man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Fretting, anxiety, worry. They're not appropriate emotions for a believer. They don't belong. More specifically, do not be envious of wrongdoers. And verse 7 puts it, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Uh, what's going on here? Well, this is a common theme throughout Psalms is this, how do we react? How do we respond when, when wicked people do well? When, when they seem to grow and prosper and the Lord seems to bless them. And, and David sees this tendency in himself. He knows that this is common to the sinful heart. We see someone else doing well, having the things that we wish we had. And specifically, people who aren't following the Lord and, and we fret. It, it turns this knot in our stomach there's this turmoil that surrounds it. It makes us uneasy. That's not right. How come they're getting ahead? Maybe you see someone who's, who's shading his business dealings, and yet his business continues to grow bigger than mine. You see someone who's, who's not kind and loving toward his wife, and yet his marriage seems to flourish better than mine, and God gave him the children that I would have loved to have, or whatever it is, we feel ripped off. They're getting away with it. They're getting ahead. I'm being faithful. I'm trusting you, Lord, and my life isn't going the way I wanted it to. What gives? 
And we look at people whom we judge as being less worthy than ourselves, and we stew over it. We fret, and we get envious. Envy is that ugly emotion birthed out of a desire for something that someone else has that then begins to morph into hatred toward that person and bitterness toward that person. And the opportunities for this kind of fretting and, and envy are, are just endless. They're all around us. Just take a minute and do inventory on your heart. And, and, if, and if you just kind of stop for two seconds and go, no, I'm good, go back. You missed it. It's there. What are the things that cause you to fret? What are the things in your life that, that, that drag at your heart a little bit? And you say, how come that person has that? How come I don't? Is it money related? Other people have the income I want, I wish I had. They get to go on these luxurious vacations. Oh, I would love to travel and they get to travel and I'm stuck here. I'm never getting ahead. I'm, I'm always just scraping by or maybe it's prestige related. Why does everybody like her more than me? Why does she get the honor and the promotion, the title, the recognition? Why does she have all the friends and I'm the loner? I want that popularity. I want that prestige. Relationship related? Look at other person's spouse, another person's family, and we wonder, why am I lonely? Why isn't my marriage like that? Why don't I have what they have? Again, the possibilities are endless, but they all move in the same direction. It's all rooted in, in this desire for earthly things physical things. Doesn't mean they're bad things necessarily. Um, they're just temporary things. And, and that's the, the point that David draws forward in, in verse two. They will soon fade like the grass. Don't, don't fret over those things that, that you don't have. Don't envy those people because that supposed success, it's not lasting. It, it will fade. It's going to disappear. It's like the grass. And we, of all people in Canada, should, should recognize the reference here. How's your lawn doing today? All right, we dug a snow fort in our yard this week. I found my grass. I found it with a hammer breaking through ice. And there it was. It's quite dead. Um, grass is temporary. It grows tall for a season, and then the frost comes, and it's gone. It's dead. These things are seasonal. These worldly things from here and now, and specifically, if we're talking about the success of the wicked, um, it can only ever be temporary. It can only ever be built on these seasonal, temporary things. Our hearts should not be troubled. We shouldn't fret and worry over the, the temporary things of this world. And, and as we push a little bit deeper on that, Colossians 3.5 really puts a knife edge. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness. That's envy. Ouch, Paul, you just kind of threw that right in alongside sexual morality? Don't do that to me. Um, there it is. And worse yet, he comes to covetousness, which is idolatry. Envy is idolatry. To covet is to make an idol. It's to worship something above God. That's harsh. That's significant. That puts a whole new spin on this. Now, we would never talk about it that way, but that's exactly what we're doing. 
When we envy, we're saying by our fretting, by our envy, if only I had that thing, then I would be happy. If only I could have what they have, then I would be satisfied. It's not God that I'm looking to for joy, it's that thing. And David is saying, it won't do it. That's not it. It won't help. That thing, whatever it is, it will fade like the grass. No sooner will you achieve it than it will wither and die and be gone. So let me ask you, how many of your prayers are seeking after worldly things? How how many of our prayers grow up out of the soil of fretting over grass? Come to God with our grocery list. God, give me a better job. Change my spouse. That's what my wife prays regularly. Um, (laughs) Heal me from this sickness. Provide me with a better car. Make me happy in something else. Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong to ask God for things. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But, but it is absolutely wrong to expect prayer to be this tool by which God grants us our idols. Ouch. How long have I prayed that way? How many times have I come into the throne room of God Almighty and ignorantly asked him to give me the very thing that I would use to replace him? If our hearts are not to fret over worldly success of others, if we're not to envy those who who have the kind of success and, and flourishing that will fade like the grass, then why are so many of our prayers overloaded with, with chasing after these very things? How many prayer meetings have we been to? It's a one-hour meeting, and we spend 50 minutes fretting, maybe even sometimes gossiping. Who's sick? Who needs a job? Whose relationships are in turmoil? And then with 10 minutes left, someone says, hey, we should pray. And so we we pause, and we just kind of hand the grocery list off to God. Here it is, God, itemized list, prioritized for you. So does prayer work? I ask God for a job. I ask God for a car. I ask God for a a husband. I ask God for health. Does prayer work? Is that the purpose of prayer? Are you using that tool correctly? So far as our prayers are simply a reflection of a heart that's wrapped up in earthly things and fretting over worldly success, no. No, prayer doesn't work for that. Notice verse 7 gives the opposite of fretting and envy. Be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's moving prayer in the right direction. We'll get a closer look at this passage in a few months, but Philippians 4, 6, and 7, probably already on your mind. Don't be anxious That's fretting. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And and I worry that we're prone to rewrite that in our minds. Don't be anxious about anything, but take your anxiety to God. Fret to God. That's not what it says. The command is, don't be anxious. 
put fretting to death. And instead of being anxious, simply present your request to God with thanksgiving. That's not anxiety. And there you will find everything that you've been asking for. Uh, No. No, there you will find peace. Put away anxiety. Stop fretting about earthly things. Be still before the Lord. Don't let prayer be a place of worry, but a place to calm yourself, to put put yourself at ease, to wait patiently for Him. Prayer is the opposite of anxiety. Because, point two, prayer is the expression of trust. This is step two in our our little pyramid there, verse three and then verses five and six. Verse three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verses five and six, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So prayer is the opposite of anxiety. It's not fretting and and running after things of this world. Um, We're called to trust him, and prayer is just an expression of that trust. That's what our hearts should be doing um, in all of life, and certainly in prayer, trust the Lord. So what does that mean? What does it mean to trust the Lord? Well, it means do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So do good. To trust the Lord is to obey him. It's pretty simple. When when God says, this is the right way to live, this is the best way to live your life, um, if we believe that, if we trust him, then we'll do it. If you're living a life of consistent sin, you're living a life of a consistent display of distrust of God. So do good and then dwell in the land. If you don't know Israel's history, that might not make a whole lot of sense to you. Um, Dwell in the land. So live in Canada. Is that what we're we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to live on the water? Um, No, the land is a reference to that plot of land in Palestine that God promised to Israel, promised it to Abraham, and, and again through the generations, and he delivered on that promise. And so the land became this symbol of the riches, of the blessings, of the goodness of God toward his people. And so this call to to live in the land is saying, live in the blessing of what God has given you. Don't, Don't fret and worry about what you don't have. Live in the blessings that you do have. And that connects to the last piece, befriend faithfulness. I love this. The word befriend there literally is Feed on. Eat faithfulness. Be sustained and satisfied in God's faithfulness. Verse 5 says the same thing in different words. Uh, Again, a beautiful picture here. Commit your way to the Lord. Literally, this is roll it onto the Lord. Your burdens your fears, your fretting, your concerns about my life and where this is going and and this situation or that situation, roll it off onto God. It's just the picture of this this heavy burden. You just kind of let it roll. It's it's Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on him. David writes, 
Trust him and he will act. And what is he going to do? What is, the, what is the act? Again, we want to say, is he going to give us all the things that we've asked for? Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So don't fret. Don't be anxious. Trust him and let him take care of you. And the end goal is not he will give you more money. He will give you more prestige. He will make you healthy. He will give you the, the, the husband and the 1.5 children in the house with the picket fence. It's not there. It doesn't say he will make you happy. It says he will make you holy. If you trust him, you take all your cares and concerns, all of your worries, and let him bear them as you obey him, he will bring forth your righteousness, your justice. He'll make you holy. Prayer is not primarily about running after the things of this world, turning your fretting and anxiety toward God. It's an expression of trust. It's about being still before the Lord, waiting patiently on Him, walking in obedience to Him, and resting in His faithfulness. And it's not about changing our scenario often as much as it is about changing us. Does prayer work? Work for what? Work for resting in him, work for rolling your burdens onto him, putting your trust in him, for him to produce holiness in us? Yeah, yeah prayer works for that. Prayer does that. And that isn't just the goal of prayer. That's the goal of life as a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a child of God. And here we begin to feel a bit of a divide because... Maybe I don't want holiness. Maybe that's a disappointment to me. You hear that. God, God's purpose isn't to make you happy, to make you holy. And you say, well, okay, I'm out. I'm done then. I don't want holiness. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I have real needs in my life. I have desires that aren't being fulfilled. I don't want holiness. I want you to give me the thing that I'm asking for. Because I'm hurting here. And that's where the question of faith comes into play. And the question, what is it that I truly need? And that question drives us to verse 4. Right in the middle of the pyramid, the center of the bullseye, this is it. Prayer is the enjoyment of God. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him. Don't fret. Don't be anxious about earthly things. Trying to find your delight in those things. Trust in the Lord and find your delight in him. Playing with the sermon title. Um, threw it out on Facebook because I was kind of laughing at the way that it could go so wrong. Pray for God. God doesn't need your prayers, right? That's blasphemous. God doesn't need anything from you. But God is the purpose of our prayer. He is the goal. He's the aim. Now, he is what we need. And I can't help but think there's a vast array of emotional responses to that statement. 
If you're like me, maybe you feel a few conflicting feelings all at once. Delight yourself in the Lord. And one response is disappointment. I know it's not very spiritual to admit that. I've felt it. I suspect some of you have too. I don't want to delight myself in the Lord. I wouldn't say it out loud. But that feeling in my heart tells me that I don't really believe that the Lord will give me true delight. Why else would I have this sinking feeling in me? I don't want the Lord. I want the pain to stop. I want the loneliness to go away. I want my child back. I want my dignity restored. Delight in the Lord is this nice Sunday school answer, but I have real problems here. Another response. Others here hear that phrase, delight yourself in the Lord, and you hear that with a sense of, of hope and desire, but confusion, maybe helplessness. I, I want to want that. I desire to delight in the Lord, but what does that mean? What does that look like? How do, I, how do I do that? I'm not even sure what that really looks like. And others still, you've tasted that. You've been down that road of faith. Maybe you've visited a few times. Maybe you just live there and you hear those words and your heart just sings, yes. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's where, that's the goodness. That's what it's all about. There's nothing better. So, so how do we get from A to B? How do we move forward in understanding what it really means to delight in the Lord? How do we really experience that? And, and the first answer is simply faith. A huge part of, of trusting in God is trusting in in what he says will make you happy is actually what will make you happy. When he says, this is where true delight is found, um, we believe him. I found this great quote this week from Charles Spurgeon writing about this passage. He says, sight is cross-eyed and views things only as they seem, hence her envy. But faith has clearer optics to behold things as they really are, hence her peace. Faith is trusting God more than we trust our own eyes. Faith is disbelieving the desires of our own heart in order to believe that the word of God is true. That's hard. I don't think there's anything harder in this world to distrust the desires of my own heart and believe in something else. But listen to what Scripture says first about your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, no surprise. A heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? It's sick. Your heart is twisted. It's been deformed by sin, and now it's deceitful. Your very own heart lies to you about what is good, about what will bring you joy. It, it runs hard after all the wrong things. And then if you're looking for it, the Bible is all about how true joy is found in the Lord. It's throughout. Um, I feel like I take you to, to Psalm 1611 
all the time because that's just a favorite verse of mine. It's a go-to verse that says this so clearly. You make known to me the paths of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Right At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's, that's my go-to, but you've heard that a hundred times. If I were to go there, you would just tune me out. So we're not going to go there. Let's look at some other examples. Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you, that's in the Lord, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread out your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. To exalt in God. That's delight. That's true overflowing pleasure. Singing for joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Rejoicing with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like he's running out of words here. This is the outcome of our faith. That's what salvation is. It's joy in God. And you see this tension you're in Peter. You, you don't see him now, but you believe. Your eyes don't see it, but you trust him. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's everywhere. It's a dominant theme of the Bible. True joy is found in God. So so how do you get there? How do you experience it? And Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, literally happy, is the man who takes refuge in him. So you want to see that he's good? Taste him. Try him. Prove to me that honey is sweet. Well, open your mouth and put some in. You have to try it. You have to come to him in faith. Find him, seek him. And where do you you find him? You find him here, in his word. He's revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, encapsulated in his word for us. Read about how amazing he is. Read about his faithfulness and his kindness and his generosity and his mercy and his justice and his grace. It's all here. And then prayer. Prayer is enjoying God, pressing into that delight in him. It's it's exalted in him. Prayer is putting away our anxiety over earthly things. And it's expressing our trust in the Lord and it's enjoying God, delighting in Him. Let your prayers overflow with worship. Let your prayers be bent toward delighting in God. Uh, George Mueller, if you've never read his autobiography, it is so rich. And, and just seeing the way his mind works. Great man of faith, a man who had more tangible answers to prayer. He prayed in millions of dollars and ran multiple orphanages, never asking for a dime. 
just trusting the Lord to provide and being on his knees in prayer. And there's amazing stories of God answering these tangible physical prayer requests. And yet George Mueller says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's the goal of prayer. To wake up my heart to delight in the Lord. To get up in the morning early enough to have significant time to to open your Bible, to quiet your heart, to work through faith and trust, to read and pray until your heart is happy in Him. That's the ultimate purpose of prayer. That we delight in Him. That we rejoice in Him. We exalt in Him. Now, let's clear something up here. John, is that what your devotion time looks like every morning? Like, you get up at, at 4 a.m. and you, you kneel down over your Bible and you don't have to turn the light on because the Shekinah glory just glows softly and illuminates the room. You get up and, and come out of the room and your face is glowing like the face of Moses and your wife and children have to turn their, their face away. Yeah, okay, nobody thought that. Certainly those of you who have been in small group with me who know me well. Um, no, this is a battle. This is war. This is hard work. It's not easy. So yeah, I get up early. I have to. My, my kids are up at about 7.30 getting ready for school. So on a, again, on a good day, um, my alarm goes off at about 5.30 so that I can drag myself out of bed after having a fight with the snooze button. And, and I slog through grogginess and weariness. And I dig through God's word. And I, I read some Old Testament and some New Testament. And I, and I pray my way through a psalm. And I, and I spend some time in prayer. And some days I'm reading through the Old Testament, and I feel like I'm wandering in the wilderness with Israel. It's just dry. I don't see it, God. Some days I get on my knees to pray, and it's just bouncing off the ceiling. Am I just talking to myself here? It's work. And I got a a little while, but about 7 o'clock, one of my kids is going to quietly open the door and if I'm real lucky they'll come and snuggle with me and that'll buy me a little extra time but by 7.30 it's done. Like day started. End of story. And that's where faith comes in again. Now this is not a dead exercise. This is not meaningless. That's not wasted time. God promised to bless those who seek after him to fill their hearts with his word, those who come to him in persistent prayer, they will find joy in him. And yes, some days I open God's word and it's just there. It's glory on every page. And I, and I kneel to pray and the Lord is there and it's sweet communion and, and it's delighting in the Lord. That, that happens, but it's work. It's not a plug-and-play response. It's not, oh, I did something wrong this morning or, or every time I sit down, God's just going to shine the, the Shekinah glory down. It's about discipline. It's about struggling through, fighting with the coldness and sin in our own hearts with mixed success, pushing ourselves to delight in the Lord and not giving up. So press on. 
And God in his wisdom sometimes leaves us in that place for extended seasons. Not happy there. It's not okay with me. But I'm continuing on and I'm trusting God and I'm going to keep seeking him in his word and seeking him in prayer. Now some of you have been waiting patiently. John, you skipped the rest of that little verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Bam, there's my Ferrari. There's my million dollar prayer request, right? That's what Oprah says. I I listened to a clip. (laughs) She says, of course, she takes Lord and goes for some kind of whatever goodness, you know, and then just good things will find you. Well, David's not talking about vague generalities of goodness. He's talking about Yahweh, God. And what does this look like? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Question, if your delight is in the Lord, what does your heart desire? The Lord, right? That's the promise here. Jeremiah 29, 13, you seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Is Revelation 3.20. We, we often use this as a verse for evangelism. Um, it, it's actually written to a church, to a bunch of believers. It's written to the church of Laodicea, this lukewarm church. Maybe that describes your prayer life. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's a promise. If you seek me, you will find me. If you open the door, I will come in. I will have fellowship with you. If you delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. I will be there. God says to his children, I won't be withdrawn. I'm not putting up barriers to you. I'm not holding you out. When you come to me, I will be there. Wow. So what about these requests? What about praying for physical needs? Shouldn't we pray for the things that we need? In fact, wait, doesn't Jesus even command us to pray for the things we need? Give us this day our daily bread? Is that wrong? No. No, but there's a radical difference here. If we're fretting and and anxious and and we're putting our our delight in earthly things and we're asking God to, to give those earthly things to us as the source of our joy, we're asking God to replace himself in our own hearts with earthly idols, why on earth would we expect God to answer that prayer? It would be dishonoring to him. It would be disastrous to us, taking us further away from him and deeper into our idolatry, which is deadly. That's not the prayer he answers. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, if your heart is set on him and you come to him, trusting in him, looking to him for your joy, Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Then those good gifts, which are no longer idols, but expressions of his love, will be given. He gives us 
his good gifts. And in so doing, he gives us himself. He helps us see his, his goodness as we are, are ultimately satisfied in the giver, not the gift. And so far from becoming idols, those gifts become opportunities to worship. Do you see the difference? It's, it's a radical difference. And it all hinges on delight. It all hinges on the, the orientation of my heart. Seeking after the giver rather than the gift. Delighting in the Lord frees the Lord to give you good things because you won't turn them into idols. When your delight is in the Lord, when, when getting Him is the, is the ultimate goal of your time in prayer, then when you ask Him for something specific and the answer is no, no, I will not give you that. Because withholding that will actually give you more of myself. Then even when the, the immediate answer is no, the ultimate answer is still yes. Right? Do you see that? God, would you give me more delight in you by restoring my health? No, child. I will give you way more delight in me by walking you through suffering. His no is still a yes. And there's no greater confirmation of that glorious truth than the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God didn't hold back his own son, Jesus Christ, but gave him up to death for you. So that we who had abandoned him, had turned our backs on him, who had dishonored him by running after every other worldly thing in place of him might be forgiven. Might be brought back into relationship with him and find true joy in him. And if he did all of that to restore us to joy in him, can't we be absolutely confident? that he will also give us every other relatively menial thing? That is, every other thing that would be helpful for us to have joy in him? If he gave us his only son, what is a loaf of bread? If it would help us find joy in him. But I gotta tell you, if you ever studied psychology, maybe you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Boy, this is reaching back. Um, these physical needs. We, have, we need that first. We need food and shelter. And then we have security needs. We need to feel safe. And then, and then we have emotional needs that we need to feel met. And, and then we have these kind of self-actualizing needs. We need to become our own person. And, and he would say, once you have all those pieces, then you can seek transcendence. And that's like the highest thing that you can go after. But you have to have all these other pieces first. He's dead wrong. He's got it backwards. We need God. We need him more than any other thing. Job says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. If he starves me and in so doing, he gives me more of himself than glory to his name. And I'll enjoy him in eternity. We need him. And he's given himself to us. He's purchased that way in 
Christ. And we know, looking at the cross, that even when the answer is no, even if it's, a, it's an immensely painful, difficult no, a no that, that, that threatens to shake the core of your faith, maybe even a no that, that takes away your life, we can be confident that his no to any earthly thing is always, always, always a yes to having more of him. That through that no, our faith might grow, our hope, our trust might grow, our delight in him would grow. And that yes is so much better. Is in fact the true answer to every prayer. Anything that we think we need, that's what lies behind it. So does prayer work? Yes. Yes, as the opposite of anxiety, as the expression of trust, as the enjoyment of God, true prayer is always answered. It's always answered. He's guaranteed it. I want to invite the worship team to join me. Um, We're going to celebrate communion, reminding ourselves again setting our feet on this firm foundation of what God has done to bring us as sinners into his presence to declare full stop beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm for you. I'm going to give you myself and every good thing that you need. Before we do that, I want to just take some time in quiet prayer. I don't know what conversation you need to have with the Lord. Maybe it's repentance over misguided prayer or some physical thing that you've been holding on to and you've been putting above him. Maybe it's lukewarm prayer or or just a flat out lack of prayer. Maybe it's just that cry, God, teach me to pray. Maybe it's reveling again in the delight of the Lord. But I just want to invite you to take a a few minutes to pray and then we'll sing together. And as we're singing, the elements will be handed out. There's uh, two cups stuck together. The bread is underneath, the juice is on top. Um, So grab those, hang on to it. Um, But again, this is for those who are believers this morning, those who have uh, have given their lives to Christ, um, who've been saved by him. Um, Let's take a few minutes, just you and the Lord, um, and then we'll sing together.